0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your WWE Survivor Series 2021 Instant Analysis. That's right, the Silver King and vintage Chris Vanini are back just minutes after WWE Survivor Series went off the air to break down everything that happened on the final WWE Pay-Per-View of 2021 that is somewhat of a technicality but it is true. This is the final pay-per-view for the calendar year 2021. We're going to break down every match on the entire card. We're going to give analysis talk about the results, what actually happened. Uh, we'll, we'll give grades for the matches and also discuss what it may mean for WWE storylines going forward. So a full instant analysis breakdown of Survivor Series coming up momentarily because this is an instant analysis we got to take care of business quickly off the top of the show so a reminder folks that the getting over wrestling podcast all about so please do me a favor stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me be marks for the silver king for vintage head on over to apple podcast drop a five star rating and review. Let people know how much you love this podcast, how much you love our instant analysis episodes, and just basically tell them why you subscribe and why you listen and why they should as well. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter. At Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet live during all the major shows, we do live audio on Twitter Spaces, which we did 30 minutes before the WWE kickoff show tonight. A bunch of people joined us to get our last minute thoughts on Survivor Series. You can participate in polls. You can send in tweets and DMs that we'll read on the show. It is a fully immersive experience, or I try to make it immersive, on our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast. Now, because this is an instant analysis, we do this show a little bit differently than the rest of our programs, where basically... We stay sober. On this show, we crack open a cold one because it's late on a Saturday or Sunday night. We want to get in the mood to an, analyze a little bit of wrestling after a long pay per view. So the Silver King is cracking open a, uh, I don't even know, what the hell is this called? Let me see here. Sorry. I usually have this all set up for you. It's called a Moo Hoo from Terrapin Brewing out of Athens, Georgia. Love the brewery. Hate the college town because I am a Florida Gator. That's another story for another day. Chocolate Milk Stout, very excited for it. Chris, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here. I know you're on location tonight. Uh, do you have a drink? And if so, what do you got?
1: Well, first off, this is two straight pay-per-views where you're drinking a beer from a location that you hate.
0: Yeah, look, Boston, I don't discriminate, though, though, when it comes to beer, right?
1: After Full Gear, yeah, it was Boston announced this. So, yes, you are equal opportunity when it comes to your beer. I've got So, I am in Indianapolis uh, in... Another basement, the basement of my in-laws uh, for Thanksgiving this week. That's sometimes sometimes in my parents' basement. Now I'm in my wife's parents' basement. That's when you know it's a true wrestling podcast. <laughs> I had to run up to the fridge to see what they had uh, before we started recording this. So I grabbed a uh, youngling uh, lager, Yingling. which is yes. not my style, but it's
0: what they had. So we're gonna give this a try here. Yingling was the beer that when I was in college and we wanted to be fancy, we would get that instead of Bud, Bud Light or Coors Light. Like yeah, was, Yingling was slightly more expensive, slightly better tasting. Um, I like it, but it's you know, I do stick stick with more craft beer these days.
1: Yeah, it's it's okay. It's um, it's pretty uh, down the
0: middle and basic, I would say. So very tough nice. you know what you know what it is apropos that you said that because <laughs> yeah. WWE Survivor Series tonight, very down the middle and very basic. We will get to that momentarily. So like I said, um, you know, most of you listening probably are subscribers, long-term listeners. You know how these instant analysis episodes work. For those that don't, let me break it down for you. Uh, we're going to start with our pre-show grades that we already discussed on our Ultimate Preview Podcast. We'll also Uh, you know, chime in with what you guys had to say in our pre-show poll on Twitter. Then we will get to the instant analysis. We'll start with the main event. We'll talk about the biggest matches all the way down the card to the least important matches. That's the way we do it here. And then we will wrap up with our post-show grades, our final thoughts, and send you into the next week where we have another WWE episode coming up on Tuesday and then an AEW and NXT episode coming up on Thursday. So plenty to get to tonight, Chris. Let's get right into it. The pre-show grade. Now, you and I on that Ultimate Preview podcast, we both said B+, but I think both of us, you and I, were really in the B to B plus range because we said, look, the card is not strong from a building standpoint. They didn't book it well, but there's a lot of talent on the card and it could really deliver. It had the potential to be a dynamite card. No pun intended whatsoever there, um, despite WWE's failed booking here. You guys, the listeners and people who follow us on Twitter, you pretty much felt the same way, but you were a little bit more pessimistic. 8% of you said A, 67%, B, 23% C, and then 2% D or F. And Chris, I'm going to kind of say that's a B minus average. Is that fair to say? Uh, Similar range, but definitely lower than our B pluses.
1: Yeah, it was uh, one that did not have a lot of anticipation. For a lot of reasons. And did it live up or live down to it? Let's get into it.
0: Yeah, let's get right into the WWE Survivor Series instant analysis. Uh, What we are going to do, so a lot did happen on SmackDown. I decided to keep the parts of this show that we discuss things that happened on SmackDown as minimal as possible. We're going to save a lot of it for the WWE show on Tuesday, but there are a couple matches where things happened on SmackDown that directly related to the pay-per-view. So one of those happened in the main event, the world champions going head to head, Roman Reigns representing SmackDown, Big E representing Raw. On SmackDown, Reigns opened the show. Paul Heyman really flated Reigns a lot. Reigns said he didn't need bullshit King gimmicks. He took the crown from King Woods because he could. King Woods came out. He said, stuff like all those gimmicks don't make you a king. And he challenged Reigns again. Uh, Reigns came out uh, and just basically ruined all the gimmicks. He had the Usos like tear apart the capes, smash the throne, all that type of stuff. Woods ran in to stop the crown from getting crushed. He just got dominated in the ring. Reigns then smashed it, saying he's the only king on SmackDown, the only king in WWE. And then Woods later backstage said the Roman Empire would fall in the main event. Uh, Reigns entered. Uh, the Usos got thrown onto the ramp in the main event. Uh, like the main event segment of the show, they were hurt, they were injured. Suddenly Big E appears right underneath the Tron, and he looks like a freaking star. The way they shot him, the whole thing. He attacked yeah. Reigns. Woods joined the attack. E hit big endings on both Usos. Woods hit topes on them. Reigns came back with a Superman punch on E, but E countered a spear into an attempted big ending. Reigns escaped, and that was the end of the show. So I thought the opening of SmackDown was fine, Chris. Trashing the King gimmicks did not really bother me. They really shouldn't last forever. And if you're getting rid of them in this way, that's probably a good idea. I hate when the gimmick goes for nine months, but it did feel like it was a little too soon to get rid of all this type of stuff. The positive takeaway though, is that Woods and Reigns seems like it's gonna go on past Survivor Series. And like I said, Big E, they made him look like a star in that moment. He got an incredible response from the crowd. It was a fine go-home kind of deal. But it was also kind of nonsensical that Biggie was there. He sees Woods getting beat down in the open of the show, and he doesn't come to help him. So that was my thoughts on SmackDown.
1: Yeah, no, I thought it was a great go home segment. Um, you you kind of built up some animosity, some heartbreak, all to the big moment where Biggie shows up and he runs off Roman. So it, it was storybook, great setup. Uh, I actually really liked the build to this match. Survivor Series, a good way of mixing the New Day in and all of that. Um, you know, smashing the crown. You know, he's still King Woods, so, you know, we'll see what that means moving
0: forward. And But it was a good way to get some heat, and I, I really like the setup to hold this whole thing. And then the only thing that really happened that directly set up the match backstage, uh, Heyman had a really hysterical backstage segment with Kayla where he made fun of Brooklyn, and he was then told by her that Brock Lesnar's suspension was no longer a definite. And he said, ask Adam Pearce about that. He's the one that seems to have a problem with Lesnar. We don't. So I just thought it was really funny what what Heyman did. I'm not going to try to recreate it here. You guys can go watch or listen to it uh, elsewhere, you know, on, on Twitter or social media or watch the pay-per-view Survivor Series. Most of you probably saw it, um, but that was pretty funny. So we got to the match. The match was the main event of the show. There was a report before the show. It was going to open Survivor Series and the women were going to main event and the opposite ended up being the case. So Big E bested Reigns early in the match. Heyman then got into Reigns' head, kind of like convincing him and telling him, hey, you know, you're the biggest Uso of all time, right? You're, you're the guy, you're the tribal chief, like you're better than this. It was a really slow and methodical start with Reigns beating E inside and outside of the ring, talking trash to the crowd, yelling at Big E. Uh, e finally threw Reigns into the steps and hit three belly-to-belly suplexes in the ring. E hit a uranage and got Reigns in the stretch muffler. Reigns then deadlifted E into a sit-down powerbomb. Reigns missed a Superman punch, but caught Big E with a rock bottom for a near fall, and the fans started chanting Rocky. E ate three Superman punches, but just kept getting up, and Reigns went into the corner to do his spear. He did the ooh thing, and when he opened his eyes, Big E was standing right in front of him. I thought that was an awesome sight. E did a sick tope spear, but Reigns caught him with a spear back in the ring. E kicked out at 2.5. There were dueling chances for both guys. Reigns talked more shit. Reigns then caught a second Tope spear with a guillotine, uh, then put the guillotine back on E inside the ring. E powered out and turned it into a big ending, but Reigns grabbed the bottom rope for a you know break to break the fall at 2.99. E ruined Reigns like, outside the ring, but Reigns reversed him into the steps, which led to Big E hurting and selling his knee. Uh, Reigns then hit a Superman punch outside. E grabbed him in the ring to hit a big ending, But his knee gave out, so Reigns then caught him with a spear and won in about 22 minutes. So this is a really interesting match to break down. On one hand, Chris, look, we got to give it credit for what it was. Big meaty men slapping meat. I mean, it was two big meaty men bumping meat tonight. But while the match was really strong and entertaining and they did good work, the problem with Reigns matches now, it's like, you know, he's not going to lose under any circumstances. So no matter how many hope spots they give us, you're just waiting. You're you're watching the match waiting for either a screw job or how Reigns is going to miraculously win. He was kept strong here. He kicked out of his spear. He didn't know sell the Superman punches, but he was so... Strong that he was able to stand up after each of them, and he looked really good in the match. But the finishes are no longer really exciting when it comes to the Roman Reigns matches, especially after the demon match. That was really the turning point where you said, You know what? It doesn't matter what any of his challengers do, he's gonna win anyway. It's almost to the point back in the day of the LOL Cena wins meme where no matter what happened to John Cena, he would eventually win. That's the case now with Roman Reigns. It doesn't make it bad. Um, Reigns booking now is still way better than it was as as a face, but the gimmick is definitely starting to wear, at least on me as a viewer. So I gave this 4.25 stars and an A, just barely hitting the A. 4.5 meets, of course, on our beefy scale, but it just wasn't the match I thought it could have been.
1: Yeah. Well, first off, I didn't say it during the buildup, but the the promo video for this match was incredible. WWE video team continues to knock it out of the park. Um, but this match this match just kind of didn't do much for me. And, and you want to talk about a turning point. The turning point for, for me wasn't the Finn Balor match. It was the Edge match at Money in the Bank. His first singles match in front of a crowd. It was the main event, the, the show I was at, and... He wrestled that classic WWE 30-40 minute main event style match that they had not done during the pandemic because there was mm-hmm. no crowd, so they right. had to do different kinds of matches. And now that they got back to crowds, they're back to doing these just slow, methodical main event matches, and they're just they're boring for very long stretches. That's not to say they don't work. There were moments where Big E. You know, came back and the crowd was into it at times, uh, but it's just it's it's a bit of a slog, and Biggie was working from underneath a lot, and for a guy his size, for a guy with his athletic ability, I don't think that really fits him. I, I think the match, the story to tell in this match was, you know, Roman's offensive moves aren't working because Biggie's such a big guy and Biggie's. You know, offensive moves are doing more damage to Roman than an edge or than a Cena or a Finn Balor. And he's dealing with a, a strength like Brock Lesnar that he doesn't have to often work with. That That's the kind of match I think they, sh- they should have done, the, the, the Brock style matches versus two behemoths. And so, you know, we knew Roman was going to win. And the finish was kind of a letdown. I just feel like Biggie didn't get enough big moments for a match like this. It was very different from the the McIntyre match a year ago. So kind of disappointing. I was going to give it maybe like 3.75 stars. Just kind of whatever. Uh, 4.5 meets for sure. But yeah, just not the kind of style, I think, for these two guys.
0: Yeah, and the way the match was booked and the way it operated, it really should have opened the show. You know, like in retrospect, looking back at it and We had a uh, a tweet come in from Nook Su who said for CL one max with two X's. He said, if Rock or Brock Lesnar weren't coming out, Becky and Charlotte should have main evented. And I I completely agree. I mean, we'll talk about the Becky and Charlotte match next. That's the next match we'll talk about. But it was superior in every possible way to this. I mean, it just was. And Uh, but yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. But 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 the, the re- I think the
1: reason you you couldn't have Becky Charlotte in main event was because of how that match ended, which we'll get to. I I think I, I, I'm wondering if that's a, a determining factor in, in in
0: flipping what was going first and last. Maybe. I mean, there were so many circumstances on this card where there were endings or bookings that were just like you shook oh, your yeah. head. I mean, you know, I'm not going to spoil our post show grades, okay? But. Chris, I mean, we've gone the entirety of this podcast, the existence of Getting Over. And I think dating back to whatever the pay-per-view was after Money in the Bank in the pandemic era, from then till now, I don't think there's been a single WWE pay-per-view where we came out of it and said, yeah, that wasn't a great show. Like almost every WWE pay-per-view, you can hate the TV shows. You can, we thought Raw was terrible for the for more than a year, right? But the pay per views delivered like B, B plus, A minus, A every single time. And this show, partially because of the builds, um, but largely because of the booking on the show itself, the actual wrestling and the decision making, it really did not deliver anywhere near where it could have delivered. Simply based on the wrestlers who were in matches on the card.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it for the end, but th- this is the worst WWE pay-per-view in a year and a half. Uh, I mean, it wasn't yeah, terrible. So. There was just a lot of whatever to it, and th- this in this main event was kind of, was was one of them. It, it was, and it wasn't. It wasn't the guys. They did good work. You know, yeah. they're they're incredibly talented. I just I didn't like the kind of the booking
0: and the way the in the way of the match was laid out, but that's kind of how just how WWE does it. WWE also opened this show with two matches that had the crowd operating at like an eight or nine out of 10. And then they absolutely killed their own crowd for the duration of the show. Like, I've never seen a crowd do that before on a pay-per-view, especially when there's good matches still to come later in the show. It was absolutely shocking. And the other thing here, Chris, is they really had Raw go 5-0 on the main card until the main event that way reigns was the only person from smackdown to win just to make him look even stronger to the detriment of everyone else on the brand i'm fine with reigns being a monster being dominant he's had the title for i think they said 484 days tonight something like that has the title reign gone on too long yes should it have been ended by the demon yes it should have um but even though it's continuing, I'm okay that it's continuing. They are starting to wade into truly ridiculous territory with Roman Reigns to the point where I am now anticipating him losing the title, which is not something I thought I would say for the vast majority of these 484 days.
1: Anticipating, what do you mean? Like you're looking forward to him I'm looking for-
0: forward to him no longer being champion. Well, I I th- and that
1: that's where the line is. That's where the line is between he's the heel and you want him to lose versus you're sick of him and you want him to lose. Yeah. And WWE doesn't do a good jo- does not do a good job of balancing that. And um you're right. Now, now this was a one off. This was a a one off Biggie feud. Um uh you know, we'll see what they do post Survivor Series. Is it a, is it an Xavier Woods storyline? I don't know. But they're going to have to you know, I, I they told a good story with this, and they'll, I think they'll continue to tell a good story, but especially with the lack of main eventers on SmackDown, you know, there's not a lot of opportunities coming up where you will think Roman
0: could lose. And, and that's a problem. And look, not every main event on a pay-per-view is going to be incredible, right? There's many times you can have a really good pay-per-view and the right. main event just doesn't completely deliver. But this was uh, almost symptomatic of what happened over the rest of the show, where even coming into the match, I wasn't anticipating it as much as I was Tuesday when we did our ultimate preview, or even Friday coming out of SmackDown, because of the way I, the card was booked. The rest of the card, I I wasn't dreading it, but at the same time, I was like, "Oh yeah, right, this is the final match. Good, I'm excited. This this should be well, good." Yeah, I, I mean, I was still
1: looking forward to this match, and like I said, the the the, the hype video before it really got me excited. The video was incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah, I I, I was really excited for this match. It's just the match itself, just.
0: Like I said, the match itself was a bit of a letdown on that booking. It was. As Gary Delabate would say, it was a bit of a stumble. Uh, One other thing involving Reigns before we move on. So Vince McMahon was shown on screen three different (laughs) times during this pay-per-view, and Vince is never on television these days. Uh, So first, he was exiting a limo with superstars crowding around him. And he goes back into the limo, pulls out a golden egg. Now, I'm happy that I saw Red Notice on Netflix. No, this podcast is not sponsored because as soon as he pulled the egg out, I knew exactly what it was. My guess is that the vast majority of people watching, I'm guessing yourself included, Mr. I don't watch movies that frequently or, or you know, at least popular movies that a lot of people see. Um, I didn't know what it was. Movies. What? I watch current movies. I just usually not like right when they...
1: I, I did not. Notice. I did not watch Red Notice. Though. OK,
0: so that's awesome. <laughs> so so I knew what it was and I got the reference. But even if you got the reference, it was the stupidest segment where these wrestlers are first cheering for Vince McMahon, who, by the way, just fired eight of their coworkers three days earlier mm-hmm. after firing 15 of their co-workers the week prior after firing, you know, 55 others prior, you know, in this year, in this calendar year, but they're cheering Vince McMahon. Um, And then it's an egg and they start chanting for the egg. And I'm just like, (laughs) what the F is happening here? So then Roman Reigns is standing outside Vince McMahon's office. And I'm like, okay, you know, business is about to pick up here. This is exciting. Roman Reigns, Vince McMahon face-to-face, that's going to be good. And Vince admired the egg. He said The Rock gave it to him as an anniversary gift. He said it was a Cleopatra egg from the movie. Again, you need to watch it to understand. And he said it was worth $100 million. It was not the prop used in the movie. Reigns then remarked at the very end of it, yeah, it's about as much as, much as my next contract is going to be, which was a killer line, okay? And McMahon scowled when he said that. The audio was terrible, though. You could barely hear them. It just sounded like mumbling. Then in a the third segment, you have Adam Pierce and Sonia DeVille in the office. The egg is gone. Vince doesn't notice it right away. And when he does, he gets it, he gets angry, but not in the old Vince McMahon anger. He's just isn't able to do that anymore. Uh, but Vince demanded Pierce interview every superstar. And if he doesn't find it, he all of them have to be at Raw on Monday night. And it was previously reported that all the roster would be at Raw on Monday night, which I believe is still in Barclays Center. So they're basically saying, hey, just don't travel out for one more day. Now Could this, Chris, have been a tipping point for a storyline? Sure, maybe. Why not make it semi-realistic? A $100 million gift from (laughs) The Rock that is just so outside of reality, in any shred of reality, that it's ridiculous. Uh, Vince McMahon holding it barehanded in a limo walking into an arena. That would never happen. It would be in a vault under lock and key. If you saw the movie, you saw how the eggs were protected. No spoiler there. Don't worry. By the way, you should see the movie. It's kind of fun. It's not a great movie, but it's like, it's The Rock and Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. She's gorgeous. Like, it's totally worth seeing. But this whole thing was insane. The rains line popped me. But this thing was so random and so unnecessary and such, I think, forced marketing, which we'll talk about later more. Yeah. It just took me, again, out of the pay-per-view unnecessarily. This was fucking insane. I,
1: like, I, I didn't know what it was at first. I didn't know why they were chanting egg. The second bit, he says, this is, not, this is not a prop from the movie. It's a real egg. So I'm like, okay, so it's a prop. Now I know what it is. I didn't know that at first. Right. And then, like, what? What the fuck was this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna get on Monday. I I do not have any faith that's going to matter at all. It's so freaking random. I'm at a loss for words. And yeah, Vince was mumbling. You could barely hear what they were saying. I I just was like, what the hell is going on? This this is nonsense. So yeah, I, I'm glad you explain more of what the movie is. I, I heard the movie's perfectly fine. And that was basically all the reviews I read were like, it's fine. <laughs> so it's worth watching. Have two beers and watch the movie. That's yeah, what I just I was like, what the hell is going on? And it was, I, it we, was it, just and we didn't we didn't get it. We didn't get resolution. Tune in on Monday to see where the frickin fake egg is.
0: What? OK, what? right. And it's like it, it just I'm done. I was dumbfounded by it. And, and again, the Vince and Roman Reigns interaction, I'm like, OK, You know, that's going to be cool. And it just wasn't. And Reigns was even if you look at him, he was even sitting in the chair looking at Vince like, what are we doing right now? Yeah, Why are you having me do this? His line was great. His line was the best part of the entire thing. But again, you could barely hear it. And it just it it was a bad television storyline on a pay-per-view. And that's how we get Vince McMahon. We haven't seen Vince. We never see the guy. That's how you get him. By the way, he did look better than he has recently. So that was good. Um, okay, let's move to like the what I consider the co-main event and open the show. And spoiler alert, it was the best thing on the entire show. The Women's Champions match. Charlotte Flair representing SmackDown. Becky Lynch representing Raw. Becky was in red leather. Charlotte wore black on the heel side. And I thought it was a nice touch that even though she was in black, she had uh, her nails painted blue. And a lot of the superstars throughout the show, it was a really nice touch, especially in the Survivor Series matches, Chris, that they wore gear that was the color of their brand instead of, with the exception of the Battle Royal, wearing the stupid t-shirts. I thought that was a little thing that just made the aesthetic much, much better.
1: Yep, totally. Especially in the Survivor Series matches because they're supposed to be a team it makes a difference. And yeah, I mean, Becky and and Charlotte not only wore generally respective show collars, but they were new types of outfits for them which made this feel like an even
0: bigger uh, match between the two of them because of what they were wearing. Right. They treated their match like a WrestleMania main event. That's how it felt going into it. And also, you know, it doesn't hurt that. uh... It's the most action I've had all year. Anyway, getting back to the match. The match started insanely hot with signatures and finisher attempts. Uh, Lynch pushed Flair off the top rope into the barricade, and I legitimately yelped out loud like, It looked nasty, looked like she flew into nowhere. There were slaps, punches, boots, trash talk. Every single move delivered by Becky and Charlotte felt like it was legitimately brutal and semi-real. It felt like a strong style match. Michael Cole called the match like a real brawl. And we don't often give him credit for the way he calls matches because a lot of times it's very corny and very campy. He was fantastic calling this match. Uh, Lynch had a draping leg drop for a near fall. She then missed one from the top rope. She had a manhandle slam, but Flair got her foot on the rope. Becky used the figure four and called Charlotte a bitch. They slapped each other. Flair then reversed the figure four. Charlotte put Becky in the disarm her and tried to cheat with an O'Connor roll, grabbing the ropes. The referee noticed as Becky Lynch was reversing it and the referee was counting one, two, three. He was completely blind. And right before three, Becky grabbed the rope to cinch it in. And get the win in 18 minutes and 30 seconds. This match was freaking fantastic. The characters sold this, Chris, more than the wrestling. And the wrestling was very good. Becky's attitude throughout the entire match was pure, unadulterated hatred of Charlotte. Charlotte was just in complete contempt for Becky. They wore it on their faces, it was in their actions. And it was in the way that they wrestled, the the way they threw punches and elbows and all the stuff that they did. The wrestling was top tier. There were moments that were a little sloppy. That's bound to happen in any match. The finish reminded the fans that, hey, Becky may have been on the face side kind of coming in here, but deep down on Raw, she's a heel. It was a smart way to give Flair an excuse. So I saw that some people hated the finish, like legitimately hated it. I have no idea how you could hate that finish. Becky outflared a flare and Charlotte could do nothing but eat it and accept it. The only problem I had with the entire match was the finish was kind of sudden. It came a little bit out of nowhere. Very similar, by the way, to the WrestleMania match with Ronda Rousey where all of a sudden out of nowhere, the match just finished. It didn't build to a crescendo. That prevented this. That alone prevented this from being an A-plus match. It was almost there. If this match, if you did this again at WrestleMania, I have no doubt in my mind they would give a 4.75 star or a five star A-plus match. But because it was Survivor Series, because of the way it finished, I went 4.5 stars and an A. But if you told me it was better than that, in your opinion, I would have no problem agreeing with you. I wrote down in my notes, holy shit. <laughs> I, I This
1: was one of the... This was one of the most enjoyable women's matches I've ever seen. Yeah, I, the, the action never stopped. They did not stop. I don't have the times in front of me. I don't know how long it went, but I kept wondering, like, when are the breathers going to come? Nearly 19 minutes, nonstop. Yeah, yeah, they just kept going and going, and you could feel the the, the like you said the hatred in there, and it, and, it, and it matched the promos they told before the match, where Becky was serious and angry and just aggressive while Charlotte was a bit uh, smug and sarcastic and and looked down upon her. So every time Becky would kick out of something, Charlotte would just like smile and and, and stuff like that. And that's what happened at the end of the match. Charlotte just smiles as soon as she loses because she knows she got out flared on a finish like that. And that's okay. Like this didn't have to be the, the, the end. I thought that was honestly... a perfect finish it could have built to it better mm-hmm. but the booking of the finish i thought was perfect for these two now in the context of the greater show we'll get into that but this being the first match and and, and to to end it like that just back and forth back and forth and then boom it's over because becky did something a little bit sneakier than charlotte was, was was awesome this was electric i'm gonna go back and watch this match very soon unbelievable work from these two this this I don't know, maybe not because of the finish, but this was a WrestleMania main event type of match. Everything from the amazing promo video, again, WWE Video Team kicks ass, to the entrances, to what they were wearing, to the match itself, just top notch. I mean, I'd probably give it four point seven five because I think the finish. I wouldn't give a match like uh, with that finish a five star, but man, this was. I think this was one of the most entertaining women's matches. That's ever happened between these two.
0: Well, that's exactly kind of what I thought. It was not the best women's match I've ever seen. Um, it was one of the most exciting women's matches I've ever seen. Like, I was captivated by yeah. watching that. I compare it. It was very similar. I believe it was a Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Asuka TLC match at the TLC pay-per-view. Um, that was ahead of WrestleMania a couple months before four months before WrestleMania uh, and the WrestleMania main event match at 35 that we're talking about. It was very similar to that in, in that you could not stop watching. You did not want the match to end. That's how good it was. And I just, the only reason I didn't go, like I said, to the A plus is I know they have done better and I know they can do better. And just because it finished so suddenly like that, and there was really nothing on the line. So the crowd was really into it, but there wasn't a title. There wasn't, A loser leaves town. There there just really wasn't anything actually to the match, but it did not stop it from being amazing. And yes, Chris, because it opened the show and was the best match on the show, it meant that every every single thing that followed it had to try to live up to it or come close to it or exceed it. And nothing else on the remainder of the show did. And for that reason, everything that followed it seemed a little bit worse than it actually was. And that's not their fault. It's WWE's fault for booking it first. And, and another point, the fact that there were not
1: real stakes to this is why you can do a finish like that. Exactly. It's not a title change. It's it's not the main event of WrestleMania. It's just two people who hate each other and they got to fight it out. And you can you can do a sneaky rope finish and get one over on somebody and at some point, come back to do this again. I I, I thought this was booked tremendously. Um, and it just, it set the bar. Like you, when that ended, I was like, I can see why they wanted this to be the main event. But at the same time, I can see why that finish is maybe how you wouldn't want to end the night.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I do understand it. In hindsight, would it have been better? I don't know. If we had had a pretty boring card leading up to this match, maybe it wouldn't have been so, the crowd wouldn't have been so hot for it. So um, in the greater context of the show, I don't know. But the crowd was super into this. Loved that it opened the show. Everybody delivered. They set the bar incredibly high and nobody got close
0: to it. Now, I have something that you probably have not heard, and I assume most of our listeners have not heard. But they gave Becky the opportunity to cut a promo on social media uh, after this match was over. And I want to play it for you. And you'll understand why once I play it.
1: Even watching the video packages, I, I I got a little bit emotional, you know, because um, to see every every see where we came from to where we are now, and the hatred there, you know, the hatred going out there, and it just it's it's so sad, you know. Like that's somebody who I, I loved so much, who I trusted with my life, you know. And uh, who we've we've been through everything together. We nearly died in a car crash together, and and just how much we despise each other now. And I just wanted to rip her apart out there. I wanted to rip her apart, and I, I I I didn't break her arm like I wanted to, like I set out to do. And I don't know if I'm happy or I'm sad about that, but I got the win. And now she knows she can't deny it. She can't deny it. I'm the better woman.
0: Not only is she the better woman, she is the greatest woman of all time on the microphone. There is, this cemented it for me. There is no one better than Becky Lynch in wrestling history for at least the women on the mic. Um, that was an incredible promo. She was crying during that promo, if you couldn't tell. Now, I don't know if the tears were forced or if they were real or maybe a little bit of both, but this feud is so hot. They both, Charlotte deserves a lot of credit too, they both did such a great job building this over the last couple of weeks that if you told me this got run back at WrestleMania, I would hope that neither of them wins the Royal Rumble. It's just a feud and a challenge and something happens, but maybe maybe Royal Rumble gets involved as well. But if they ran this back at WrestleMania, this is an easy potential main event match probably for night one instead of night two, but it could main event, it could draw and I think people would absolutely lose their shit. You could easily run this back in, you know, six months from now.
1: As someone who recently got my tickets to WrestleMania in Dallas, I would absolutely love to see this run back again. And, and uh, honestly, I, you, I could see it where Becky loses the title to Bianca or something at the Rumble, then wins the Rumble, but challenges Charlotte for the belt. And you go through that. You do, you do the Stone Cold thing. Um, I, that's the perfect role for, um, who knows, who knows how it'll go, but man, these two have such good chemistry in the ring and weighing that real versus not real bit. What, what is what the promos, everything they do is so captivating because you don't know how much they're, how, how much they're kind of working you, how much they're not just like that Becky promo right there. Um, I mean, mentioning being in a car crash, I don't think I've heard that before. That's a whole thing you could add to this amazing promo video from this match about their history and stuff like that. So there's still so much more you could do these two. These, I was watching this and thinking these two might be this generation's Austin versus Rock in terms of just two people who are just the best and always create magic when they're together. And have that megastar appeal. Um, I just this this could
0: be an all time legendary
1: pro wrestling rivalry.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And you could probably insert Sasha Banks with either or both of them and Bailey when she gets back. I mean, you just have they're four really special women. But Becky and Charlotte, because of their legitimate friendship or former legitimate friendship, you know this I, this started as a shoot. Uh, you know, with what happened in reality. Now they're doing a work shoot. I don't know. You know, of course, none of us know what their actual relationship is like today, uh, before this match or after this match. But man, it's captivating. And WWE, you know, they, they try to work shoot a lot of things. And most of the time it doesn't work. This worked. This completely worked in every possible way. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. So Chris, let's get on to the rest of the Survivor Series card here. We got a lot more to talk about, but we'll get through it pretty quick. The men's Survivor Series match. Uh, It was the second match on the show. Representing Raw, we had Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and Austin Theory. And representing SmackDown, we had Drew McIntyre, Jeff Hardy, King Woods, Happy Corbin, and TBD. And we found out who TBD was on SmackDown because we had Ricochet, Cesaro, Sheamus, and Jinder Mahal in a fatal four-way match for the final spot. Ricochet hit Jinder with recoil and a corkscrew 450. Sheamus stopped the finish with a Bro kick. Cesaro was ready to take him out when Ridge Holland ran down to distract. And Sheamus caught Cesaro with a brogue for the win before hugging Holland. They celebrated later with Sheamus buying into the whole thing we've been talking about uh, with Holland, you know, saying he's his idol. And I figured Sheamus would win this whole thing, but it was disappointing for me that Ricochet did not. The booking made sense given the Sheamus Holland storyline that they've been telling on TV, but it was a shame not to put Ricochet over in a key spot and put him in a match where he could easily take a fall. You know, especially because the way he's built. So I definitely thought Ricochet should have won. I was very happy still with Sheamus being in the match, though.
1: Yeah, I know you're big on Ricochet and always wanting him to get that push. And it's just it's 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 not going to happen. I was <laughs> actually more disappointed in Sheamus winning via distraction against his former tag team partner, Cesaro in the bar. Right. It's like, oh, Sheamus has a new buddy now and it's not
0: Cesaro when they're right there. All right. Oh, okay. I thought you might have had more, but no, that's cool. Nah, so nah. let's get to the match. I'll go through it as quick as I can. So uh, KO argued with Rollins, started the match, and immediately got himself counted out on purpose. He then bowed to the, the team as like almost an FU. Ballard dodged Corbin into the corner and hit a coup de grace to even it 4-4. Hardy got huge pops throughout the entire match. Woods hit a tornado, Russian leg sweep, but got pushed off the ropes by Lashley, who beat him with a spear and hurt lock to knock him out. He did not tap. Balor and Rollins hit stereo sling blades. Lashley tried to tag out when McIntyre entered, but no one was there. Lashley, straight clean leapfrog McIntyre, and they flew over the barricade for a double countout. That made it three to two raw. McIntyre hit Lashley with a claymore just for good measure. Rollins taunted him, so McIntyre gave him a Glasgow kiss. Sheamus avoided coup de grace and beat Balor with a bro kick. That made it two two. Hardy jumped off Sheamus's back for a splash. Then they did a double chest thump deal on the ropes, and it looked like they were You know, working together and going to be simpatico. Uh, Theory shocked Sheamus with a roll up using his tights. Sheamus got pissed, of course, that he lost. Uh, He attacked Theory, then he attacked Hardy because he was angry that Hardy wasn't there to help him. Hardy kicked out of a frog splash and beat Theory with a swanton bomb. That made it Hardy versus Rollins one on one. Hardy kicked out of Rollins' new forearm. Uh, He avoided a stomp, hit twist of fate, and looked like he was about to beat Rollins with a swanton bomb when Rollins stopped the swanton with double knees and hit the stomp for the win. And the crowd, man, was taken for a ride in this match. So I liked Chris that they protected Woods with Lashley. They had Lashley trip him off off the ropes. He not only took his spear finisher, but he got the Hurt Lock. So they did whatever they could to make sure that the number one contender, seemingly over on SmackDown, was okay. However, the countout for Lashley and McIntyre it was the opposite. It was too protective for me. It made sense given their rivalry that they would get lost in each other. But to do two countouts in one match, taking out three wrestlers, it was just too damn much. What I liked most about this was that the final four guys actually got a significant amount of time to work. And those four put on a really good match inside of a match. The fakeout uh, was great. It made you think the baby face was gonna win and Hardy. And then Rollins coming over the top And winning anyway was extremely heelish and impactful, especially because he did it clean without any bullshit. So the booking, you know, what we predicted would happen did not go as expected. But the point of Survivor Series matches is to be fun, exciting and exciting. And what WWE did here was they gave us a fun and exciting match with a really cool Rollins Hardy thing that we didn't think we'd see. The crowd told WWE audibly during this match, we want Jeff Hardy more involved. And for Rollins to beat him, got a lot of heel heat on Rollins. So I saw some people didn't love this match. It was nowhere near as good as some Survivor Series matches we've seen in the past. But I thought it was a really good match. I enjoyed it personally. So I went four stars and an A minus.
1: I am so torn on this for, for a few reasons. The actual wrestling we got was, was, was quite good. And you're right. The crowd loves Jeff Hardy. They were all about him, and you can't help but get into it when a crowd is that Mm -hmm. into a performer. But you get three countouts in one Survivor Series match, and that's where I go, oh, okay, so this show is mostly going to be about protecting as many people as we can, coming off of the Becky Charlotte match where you had a rope finish. It's like, okay, we're just, we're going to try to protect as many people as possible. And it's going to kind of, kind of takes you out of watching the show because you don't think if you, you're, you you're questioning how many people are going to lose, um, legitimately. You know, I, I liked Rollins and Austin theory working together like they used to back in the pandemic days, early in the Monday night Messiah days. I don't know if commentary referenced that or not, uh, just something I noticed that they used to be together, but but you know, in the end, the crowd really liked it, and so I can't, you know, I, I can't be upset about something relative because I'm thinking about the booking or whatever. You know, if if it's a pretty fun match and the crowd enjoys it, then that's largely a positive. But what, but what I took one big thing I took away out of this was was all the the, the roll ups and the, the the three countouts. Like oh, <laughs> people aren't going to be taking pins here. That kind of kind of really set the tone really for the rest of the show and what the whole show was.
0: It did. It set it up. But I I was entered t- like, you know, you can grade matches on multiple ways. How what's the quality of the wrestling? What's the crowd reaction? How important is it? How good is the finish? This had so many elements that were enjoyable to it that it worked for me. It just did. And on a show where I mean, you, if you guys think like. If you're thinking to yourself right now, oh, wow, Silver King's being generous with that with that grade. I promise you, you're, you're going to love the rest of my grades because they're not generous at all. Um, But th- I thought these two matches back-to-back were a really hot start to the show. The women absolutely crushed it to open. The men, were they as good? No, but they took advantage of a hot crowd and were able to put on a really good match. And I thought that was important. Um The last thing here, really quick, it really feels to me, like Hardy over on SmackDown can be a strong opponent for Reigns going forward. Like, I think fans would legitimately buy into it if Reigns-Hardy fought at WrestleMania or if they were the Royal Rumble Universal Championship match or something like that. I believe that could be sold. Crowds are absolutely in love with Hardy and he's actually one of the few WWE superstars that are still active that have legitimate crossover appeal. Like, people... Who were fans in the Attitude Era? Remember Jeff Hardy, and I think would be excited to go watch him at a major pay per view.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, he is—he hasn't really done much of anything since since he came back. Um, you know, you kept waiting, you, you thought he was going to get into a main event uh, or a title picture, and he just hasn't. He, has he had that one United States
0: Championship run at yeah, the beginning of the yeah, pandemic. He, yeah.
1: carrying the carrying cross nonsense. since he he's just he was he was he got he ran ran out there in the 24 seven thing and there was actually a blowback to that <laughs> so um he's had an, kind of a strange kind of run here i but he is someone if you put him up against roman reigns crowds would absolutely buy into it what i personally buy into the idea that rome that jeff Hardy could win no oh no that's because i'm a, that, yeah. that's because i'm a cynical smart Right. You know, I I can't deny that the crowds are go absolutely crazy for this guy, and 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 that's important. You know, as much as we like to talk about all sorts of minute details, crowds cheer, and that's the most
0: important thing. Yep, absolutely. Okay, let's power through the rest of this uh, women's Survivor Series match. You had Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Carmella, and Queen Zelina for Raw. Sasha Banks, mm-hmm. Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, Natalia, and Tony Storm for SmackDown. There was a fun fun moment on the kickoff show. Where Sasha tried to motivate the team, everyone except for Shotzi, and she like forgot her name and then did the rocks. It doesn't matter what your name is, whole gimmick to her, uh, just to get under her skin. Uh, Banks also did give Tony Storm some props on Twitter by, you know, saying, Hey, I believe in you so much that you're going to start the match for our team. So it was just cool the way she kind of involved everyone. As far as the match goes, Mela fumbled with her mask and got rolled up by Tony Storm to start, which was. Just so appropriate, right? Like, of course, you're going to start a women's Survivor Series match (laughs) with a roll up without any offense whatsoever. Liv did good work with Natalia. Shotzi pulled Sasha off the ring apron when she tried to tag. Baszler and Ripley were solid together. Uh, The crowd actually did the wave in the middle of the match until Sasha and Bianca tagged in. And then business finally picked up. Banks grabbed the braid to break a KOD. Then Belair threw Zelina into her. Storm took Zelina off a backstabber into a sick move. That made it five to three SmackDown. Liv then beat Storm with Oblivion. Liv ate a splash and a frog splash from Shotzi and Banks. So she got pinned after two significant moves. That made it four to two smackdown. Ripley did an incredible flipping delayed vertical suplex on Sasha. Ripley then ate a backstabber, flipping inverted DDT and a knee from Baszler, and that eliminated her and left Bel Air alone. SmackDown then imploded because there was an argument between Sasha and Shotzi. They got into a shoving match. The other women got hit. There were accidental blows. And Sasha Banks was getting counted out. She kept trying to get back into the ring to break the count and continue the match, but her teammates kept pulling her out of it. She got into the ring twice, but still got counted out. It was absolutely fucking dumb. It was just mind-boggling, mind-numbing, pick an adjective. Um, Belair caught Natalia for the one, two, three. She had a glam slam on Baszler for a pinfall. That left her in Shotzi. Belair then blocked the Tornado DDT and hit the KOD to survive, coming back from a 4-1 deficit to win. So my eyes rolled into the skull when they started with the roll-up without any actual offense. The Sasha elimination took a match that was rebounding from a really really bad start that lost the crowd and brought it completely back down for pure reasons of protecting her when they really didn't need to. Galera as the sole survivor. Okay, I guess that made sense. That's fine. Uh, the match did get plenty of time and the booking outside of Sasha, it really wasn't bad. It was not poorly booked. The eliminations all made sense and some of the bigger women uh, in terms of star power were protected and then that was good. But the w- this match suffered from a terrible crowd. The women were working well when the crowd did that wave. And normally I'd blame the crowd and I'd say, oh, Lafayette, Louisiana, you suck or something like that. (laughs) But it's not the crowd's fault. This is emblematic of what I've said on this show about WWE and the way it books the women outside of the main event picture. The main event matches get a lot of time. The crowd absolutely loves them. But because WWE does not treat its women's midcard as important. They give them three minutes. The Queen's Crown Tournament is a complete joke. They don't give them any storylines, really, that allow fans to sink their teeth into them. The fans have no reason to care when you then put the women's mid card, for the most part, you know, more than 50% of this match was the women's mid card on a pay-per-view. This was obvious because when the crowd was doing the wave and not paying attention and just being stupid, As soon as the main eventers tagged in, Sasha and Bianca, they got to their feet and got really excited. It was still pathetic the way the crowd acted, but that is the explanation as to why. There was nothing wrong with what they did in the ring. I'm going to give the women a little bit benefit of the doubt here, but it was not a good match. I'm going to say 2.5 stars and a C. Just a real disappointment here.
1: Yeah, what you said about not building up the women's mid-carters is the entire thing. There was zero reaction to anything Shotzi did because we have been given no reason to care about her. We don't know anything about her. There's just zero reaction. Sasha comes in, boom, like, all right, people are paid attention. But when it's anybody else on that team, nobody cared because we have not been given any reason to care. And as for this whole match... To, to have another freaking count out, to have a roll up at the beginning. Again, we're just the the, mo- the number one thing they wanted to do with SmackDown or with Survivor Series was just get out of there with nobody looking too bad. It, it was so weird. It, it was. It's not how as, you book as, a
0: show or a match. No.
1: Yeah. As soon as and especially as soon as Sasha got counted out, everybody gave up. Yep. Everybody knew you, you set it up or it's. Bianca is going to have this big comeback, but it's against three people we don't care about, so it's not really going to be a big deal. Bianca wins. There was almost no reaction because we because who she defeated to make that comeback was nobody of consequence. This was not Dolph Ziggler making that comeback with Sting's help back in twenty whatever that was. It, it was it was completely telegraphed, and you didn't give us the big moment to do this. If you're going to have Bianca make this big comeback to be the sole survivor, you got to make, you got to create a moment. She's got to beat Sasha Banks to do it, not beat whoever was left. Baszler and Natalia and who was it? Shotzi, I think like, mm-hmm. who cares? N- none, none, none of those people matter. So it was t- a terrible booking and just an- another example of not at all caring about what was happening on this show. They just wanted to
0: protect a bunch of people. And that was it. And the Sasha Banks thing, the Sasha Banks thing was just so ridiculous. Like she got 80% of her body in the ring and the referee didn't count that as breaking a count out since when, since when is that the case? Yes, that's part of it. It was, it was completely maddening and, and absurd and ridiculous. Let's keep going. We have the tag team champions match the Usos against RK-Bro. Usos representing SmackDown, RK-Bro representing Raw. It was a really slow match after a bad battle royal that we'll talk about uh, last. Uh, it really cooled off a hot crowd. Randy Orton destroyed both Usos on a hot tag. Riddle ate an assisted pop-up and drop for a near fall. Then stereo super kicks, arching his back for a kickout. Orton got a blind tag and caught Jimmy Uso trying to splash Riddle with an RKO out of nowhere. The cameras half missed it. Uh, he got the one, two, three, but replay caught it perfectly. And they ran replay immediately after. So it wasn't the full impact, but you still got most of it. It was a good finish. The finish woke up a crowd that was dead the entire match. Combining yep. the crowd with the work, this out of every match on the show underdelivered more than any that I would have expected. And I was astonished by that. I thought it was going to rule. This should have been. It had the capability to be an a match, but instead it was... I don't know, like 3.25 stars, 3.5 stars and a B. It was a B match. It was good. It just wasn't great. And the booking here did not help either team. The Usos lost again for really no reason. RK bro are literally Chris in the middle of a storyline where Orton is trying to teach Riddle to be serious and to concentrate on winning because that's what matters the most. Losing a non-title match would have been a good way for Orton to reinforce that lesson. Instead, They just wanted to do the pop for Orton. They did mention that he broke a record for most WWE pay-per-view matches of all time. Congratulations to him. But this thing just massively under-delivered. I gave it a B because the work was good, but man, it just, it did not work like it was supposed to.
1: This whole show was a house show, except you're protecting some of your big names as well. So in many ways, it was less than a house show. I, I, I mean, when you consider... Five on five tags, Biggie versus Roman, Roman wins. And and, and then this match where you just give the faces a win, like there were no stakes to it. It didn't mean anything. Match was okay. I I think I liked it a bit more than you did. Um, But there were there was no stakes, no story. And I wasn't fully invested until the finish, until an amazing RKO and a victory I didn't see coming. Um, But other than that, yeah, kind of whatever. Um, also, was this the first time Randy and Riddle had united music? Or did no, I, just I
0: mentioned places? that multiple weeks ago on the show, and you um, you said you didn't hear it at the time, but I guess you never heard okay. it Okay.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. I guess isn't it? This is, yeah, it works really well. I, yeah. I, I love that. It reminds me of when they mixed Cody Rhodes and Goldust music together. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what a tag team uh, should have. So. Really like that, but yeah, I mean, we got a cool moment with the, with the RKO at the end, but again, it was like a
0: house show, yeah,
1: whatever. Not something you ever gonna think about. It, it
0: was it was very much a TV match. It really was. Um Okay, two more matches. Now, normally we would do a kickoff show match last. We always do the kickoff show last, but something that happened on the card was so shitty that I had to do it last instead. <laughs> so let's go to the kickoff show where the mid card champions fought Shinsuke Nakamura, the Intercontinental Champion on SmackDown, Damian Priest the United States champion on Raw. Rick Boogs annoyed Priest by playing the guitar. So Priest gave him a verbal warning, you know, stop that shit or I'll beat your ass. There was great action here. Priest countered Kinshasa with South of Heaven for a near fall. Then he countered an armbar into a triangle that made Nakamura pass out. But before the ref could rule him out, Boogs riffed on the guitar that revived Nakamura. It was kind of funny that they did that. Uh, Damien was incensed. He took the guitar, smashed it over his knee. He hit Boogs with it. Nakamura tried to stop him. So Damian hit him with the guitar and got a disqualification. This was actually a damn good wrestling match over 10 minutes. Like the in-ring work, those two guys going together, as we expected, was very good. But it was such an absurd disqualification finish given there can't be a resolution. These guys aren't on the same brand. Nakamura can't get comeuppance here. Shinsuke, I hate when he loses. Trust me, I did not want him to lose. But he easily could have taken the L because he loses so frequently. It was. You could have done the exact same finish with Priest getting into the ring and winning clean and just being aggressive and angry because he turned to the Damien side um, because Boogs pissed him off. It was a really bad way to end a kickoff show match when the whole point of a kickoff show match is to convince people, did you like this? There's going to be more of this on the pay-per-view. And you know what? There was more of that on the pay-per-view. Luckily, that was the only DQ finish on the entire show. But it basically told you, hey, we're going to schmoz our way through this entire pay-per-view. Um, you know, I'm not sure if this was a heel turn or if it was just meant to show both sides of his character. But I did really, really like the work in the match that we got. So I did go three stars and a B- minus because they wrestled well. But the booking at the end was just terrible.
1: Yeah, th- actually, this was the one that set the tone that told you we don't want anybody to look bad. So we're a DQ on a kickoff show. I've never heard of that. <laughs> I was just like, just you really, really knew then what exactly was, was, was coming. I, I do like the idea that the guitar revives Nakamura. Like that's so much better than just Boogs is up there creating a distraction and the guy lets go. No, it, 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 it amps up Nakamura and he's able to get out of a hold instead. So that's, that's actually really creative. But, you know, the match was fine. It was what it was. But I I, I was just thinking about this. And I want to ask you this. I was thinking about it during the match. Who feels like a bigger deal in pro wrestling right now? Shinsuke Nakamura or Bobby Fish? Who feels like a bigger deal to you right now? Oh, Bobby Fish does. But... Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Shinsuke Shinsuke Nakamura. He's on a kickoff show. He's an intercontinental champion. I know he's the intercontinental
0: champion, but he's playing second fiddle to his sidekick most of the time. No, no, I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying he's
1: getting more of the attention.
0: I'm saying it's just wild. I'm saying not only is he Shinsuke Nakamura, he's also the intercontinental champion, but he still does not feel like a big deal. Yeah, it's, it's very true. Now, Fish he doesn't feel like a big deal. So like you, you using that comparison, it's by like a one percentage point, right? I'm using him because he's, but you could have picked a number, but you could have picked a number of other people in AEW. You could have said like Dante Martin, right? Or someone like that. And I still would have agreed with you because yes, Shinsuke just feels like he's another guy on the roster there. They don't do anything to show that he's a notable talent, even though he has the title, he doesn't have a feud. He doesn't have anyone going after him. He doesn't get to cut promos. He's just there. And it's, I mean, it's, it's again emblematic of WWE's problem where they're, they just can't build X number of people at the same time. They're incapable of doing it. They,
1: they, they can, they don't make you feel like more than five people matter. And then that played into the women's that plays into the women's tag team, uh, the women's Survivor Series match as well. And I mentioned Fish because Fish just randomly shows up on AEW, has a couple of matches, and he's just in promos with Adam Cole, and they're just like telling you, he immediately shows up, and they're telling you Bobby Fish is a big deal. And I couldn't help but think Nakamura's debut in NXT and what NXT used to be um, in just kind of the way that part of the company would present people as just like, Look at all these people who are amazing. You guys need to watch them, and that even works week to week on AW with people who have been there for a while. They just like, they just try to tell you like, hey, this guy's like important and he matters, and not just matters like in the greater wrestling world, not just he matters in the WWE bubble. And and it, I I think it's just, I know we've gone long on a kickoff. No, you're here. you're, I just, I you're just, right. I just you're, couldn't, I just couldn't keep thinking of Nakamura being in a, a kickoff match, DQ finish. Just like
0: man, just. Uh, just uh, what they've been doing with them and have been doing with them for a long time. You're right in many respects, but there's also plenty of people in AEW, including people who should be a big deal that just aren't, like Wardlow, for example. Like you see him, he's just standing there like, oh yeah, Wardlow works here. And when he has a match, like, oh, that was pretty impressive. And then you forget about Wardlow again after that. So there's, and that's just one example. So AEW has plenty of those people as well. Bobby Fish is someone who's new to the company. They're featuring him every single week. You know, it's, it was a little bit of a rough comparison there but the the general point is correct. It's it's you have this guy he's an immense talent. They had Jeff Hardy, you know, previously over on Raw, he's an immense talent. He's very popular. They were not using him. He felt like he was absolutely nothing. He was on a main event episode, one week he chased for the 24/7 title. Why are you doing that with Jeff Hardy? You should never do those things with Jeff Hardy. So yes, those are you know, it, it is a fair it is a fair criticism. Um and this match just I didn't mind being on the kickoff show because it had the least build out of any match on the card, but to have it on the kickoff show, actually have a pretty decent wrestling match and not have a finish and give a DQ. It was just so frustrating, not as frustrating, Chris, as the Battle Royal. So on SmackDown, <laughs> Sami Zayn was ranting about his documentary still not being released when Sonya Deville blamed his removal from the Survivor Series team on Adam Pearce and told him, hey, guess what, Sami? We're going to have a 25-man battle royal in honor of The Rock's 25th anniversary of his debut, which was at Survivor Series. And Sammy, if you win, your name's going to get associated with The Rock. So my only takeaway was, first of all, where the hell is this documentary? Like, what have we been (laughs) waiting for at this point? I want to see the documentary. But okay, we get to the battle royal on the show. It's on a main card. This entire thing was a product placement for Pizza Hut. R-Truth bribed Otis with pizza, which he ate because hey, Otis is a big guy, so he has to eat pizza in the middle of the match. AJ Styles stood outside the ring for half the match. He flew in with a phenomenal forearm on Dolph Ziggler. Sami tried to get Ricochet and Cesaro to team up when it was six versus three, when there were six raw guys, three SmackDown guys. They turned on him. Omas and Aziz did a tug of war with Styles over the top rope. Styles got eliminated and Omos got really pissed after that. So he went four on one with the Street Profits, Ricochet and Cesaro. Omos and Rick were the final two. Omos easily won by throwing him over and WWE, um, you know, put over the fact that he had 12 eliminations in the match, but like that was some big deal. Montez Ford stopped Styles from eating pizza after the match and then threw it into the crowd. So first of all, good for Omos. Okay. You got a nice spot. Cool. This was a total waste of time. It was not pay-per-view worthy in any way. If you want to have sponsored matches that these companies are paying for, the zombie match, which was absolute bullshit that they did, this one, do them. I don't care. Do them on the kickoff show. The kickoff show is the exact area where you do one of these matches. You do it in the first 30 minutes of the kickoff show. You promote the product. You say, hey, hey look, we're having fun. But we also have a really important show coming up. If you want to do it, do that. You do not do it three matches into a pay-per-view. They've done it twice now, both times. It has taken the crowd completely out of the show. It actively hurts the WWE product. This whole thing, Chris, was supposed to be for The Rock to celebrate his anniversary. (laughs) They never even mentioned him. They they could have had people dressed up as different versions of The Rock. Montez Ford could have come down with the the Versace shirt and the glasses and raised the Mm -hmm. eyebrow. They could have done so many different things to promote this. They could have made a trophy that was rock adjacent, to, you know, done, done anything to, to make this fit thematically. It was absolute shit. It took a crowd that was blazing hot after the women's match and still pretty on fire. If it was nine out of 10 after the women's match and it was seven out of 10 after the men's Survivor Series match, it took it from a seven to like a two. And that's where it remained for most of the rest of the show. This was absolute dog shit. I gave it 1.75 stars and a D plus, just because it wasn't an absolute total shit show. Like people worked hard, there were a couple fun spots, but this was terrible. This should never, ever, ever happen again.
1: Zero well, point
0: zero. zero well, you... point zero. the reason? No, I got more. You gotta wait. Zero. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. I don't give a damn what you people. That's the problem. Vince. that's the problem. No one wanted that
1: shit. The reason you don't put it on the kickoff show is because you don't get nearly as much money if you do it on the kickoff show. <laughs> that, that, that's, uh, that's, that's the whole deal. Um, I, like, I'm okay with essentially sponsored content wrestling matches from time to time. You can do them in a kind of fun way. Even like the like the KFC Colonel Sanders things like, mm-hmm. were like not bad. But they weren't but wrestling
0: matches on the show. They were taped no, segments right. that aired during the show.
1: But they were so... They just beat you over the head with the pizza thing in this one. It was like nonstop pizza the whole time. You, you might as well have just had a food fight and the food is the pizza. Like do one of those type of deals. Like... It was like, I could have dealt with this if there were like a, a Pizza Hut sponsoring. Oh, you get one pizza spot, whatever. But there's just nonstop pizza spots. Montez Ford is throwing two full pizzas into the crowd. You had multiple people taking pizza into the ring during a match. It was an absolute mess. I did correctly pick Omos to win in our pre-show Twitter spaces. So I got that going. He looked good. He He continues to just kind of I know he didn't run the ropes or anything, but he continues to just have movements that look very natural, and he has a lot of the timing stuff down. Um, I still think he's going to be a really big star for them. So he he looked good at least in terms of the role they wanted him to do, but Jesus Christ with the pizza man, like it was <laughs> so much. And right. it, it was just absolutely overloaded.
0: So let's wrap this up. Let's get to our final grades for WWE Survivor Series. I will read for you what the listeners thought, Chris. You will give your grade. I will give my grade. So a reminder, we'll go back to the pre-show. It was 8% A, 67% B, 23% C, 2% D to F. So, you know, we're basically saying that was a B minus average, right? Is that fair? Yeah. And you and I were both at B plus going in. We... We're optimistic because WWE pay-per-views to this point in our podcast history have delivered every single month. Well, the post-show poll has 11% A, 9% D to F. So let's just cancel those out. Let's talk about the middle. 53% B and 28% C. So for me, that tells me I don't know what that tells me. Is that a B minus or a C plus? How how do we average? I think that? that's a B. I think that's a B minus. You think that's still a B minus? Really?
1: Even yeah, though the what, what you said was fifty some percent and twenty some percent. Fifty
0: three and twenty eight. Yeah, it averages that to? What, what what do you think? I was thinking maybe that's a C plus.
1: But yeah, no. I guess I guess
0: if the vast yeah. majority is in the B range, that has to be a B minus still. Right. So, that, so that that would probably mean the pre-show grade is more of a B than a B minus, or, or just a higher, slightly higher, I guess, is the best way to put it. Regardless, the pre-show grades were higher across the board than the post-show grades. We'll say they were both B minuses. Uh, so I guess it met expectations of fans who watched the show. Chris, I don't know about you. It fell far below my expectations coming into the show. So go ahead. Give us your post-show grade for WWE Survivor Series. We both had... Uh, plus. pre-show
1: Bs or do we say B pluses? I think we said B plus to B in that range. It was right between Okay. Me. I'm going B minus and just barely. I mean, if you take, if you take Becky and Charlotte off of this card, there is, there's nothing. Yeah. But that match was so good. That was an all-time match for me that it moves it up from a B, moves it up to a B minus minus. From everything else, and honestly, I feel like I might be be being a bit generous after having just talked through it all again with you. I think you are being generous. Yeah, I am. I'm, so, like, I didn't, I didn't like anything on the show except for that opening match. So I'm gonna. You didn't I'm like, you didn't
0: like the men's Survivor Series match. It was
1: fine. I you didn't like, like the main really event. I it.
0: liked the main event. I didn't love it. I wanted
1: to like the main event, but it was that slow, methodical story the style. This was hard for me to get into, and they've done this a number of times with Roman now. It was, it was fine. There was nothing I was like super into. I, I'm going I'm changing. I'm going C plus. <laughs> I, I'm going C plus. It I, was, I was as I just yeah. kind of looked through it. It's just an amazing opening match, and then just nothing else. I'm gonna, nothing I'm gonna go back to or even think about. The only thing I'm going to think about is that stupid egg. Other than that, this was, it was, that one RKO was nice, but like, it's
0: nothing memorable in this show other than that opening match. I I think there's some pay per views that when we grade them, it's a sum of the parts. And if you look at how I graded some of the parts in this show, I gave three A's technically, um, because the Reigns match deserved one, the women's match deserved one, uh, and the Survivor Series got an A minus. I thought them, I I like the men's Survivor Series. But despite that, the other matches on the show brought all of those down, and even those matches that I graded highly, without with the exception of the women's match, may have simply been a consequence because of how every how bad everything else was. Like if I put them in a in a vacuum, or, you know, individually, I just watched a match on its own, maybe I wouldn't think the same. Or if I compared it to matches from Survivor Series, uh, and sorry, not Survivor Series, SummerSlam, or Money in the Bank. I probably would have thought these matches are slightly worse. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of my grades are a quarter point higher for those two matches, the main event and the men's Survivor Series match. But the women's match was freaking fantastic. The women's match, Chris, is why this gets a C plus. Because that was the best match on the card and it opened the card. Nothing else lived up to it. And the rest of the card, like you said, if you removed it from it, it was a C or C minus pay-per-view. It just was not a good show. That match saved it. It elevated it because I will watch that match again, either tonight or this week. And I will watch it multiple other times going forward in the future. That's how good that one match was. But one match cannot save an entire show. So we have great synergy here at a C plus. I just don't see how you could really say it was better than that. And it's disappointing because this is a big four pay-per-view. And as we said, to start the show, uh, we've been doing these incident analysis podcasts, you know, for every pay-per-view, WWE, AEW, NXT, takeovers, everything. Um, we've been doing it since WrestleMania two years ago, right? That was, I think that was our first one that we ever did. Um, and I'm not saying this was the worst pay-per-view that we have covered since then, um, because there have been some mediocre shows. Um but this was definitely the worst WWE pay-per-view of the last 18 months. What do you, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're going to I mean, we had, we had split reactions to that Money in the Bank in Titan Towers back in the day, but but that was the last one I think that you really hated. Right,
0: ever since then. So since like June or July of the, of what the hell was that? 2020? 2020. 2020. So a little bit less than uh, 18 months. That's that's That says two things. One, WWE's put on some damn good pay-per-views over yep. the last however many 16 months. Um, but two, that we could have that many shows that we've recently watched and reviewed, including a ton of them without fans. And this one in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, which is a hot crowd normally, couldn't live up to many of those. That is because WWE not only... Uh told poor storylines coming in, but it booked the show itself extremely poorly. And I really hope this was an aberration and not a sign of things to come. Because there were a lot of things that happened during the show, from the egg, which was absurd, to the realization that I mean, we already talked about the women on the show, but like I said, the way they treat the women's mid-card and how that. Came to fruition throughout that match, having two separate sponsored things in the show that actively hurt it, and perhaps weighing the importance of the sponsorships over quality booking. If that's yeah, a thing about to... think... <laughs> good.
1: Yeah, think about it. They used the sponsorships on the Rock, Royal, on the Rock Battle Royal, and Vince McMahon coming back, like like two
0: major things, and they used it for a sponsorship. Well, neither. Neither of them was major, but they were made even less important because they were sponsored things. I, I but, think Vince, Vince being on
1: camera is a major. Thing. I and thought they so did it too. To do a stupid. I, e- and they I thought did, so too. And they and, used and, Vince being back for an
0: egg. I thought it was important until he turned around and pulled an egg out of his ass. Right. Um, so my point is, is that if that's the direction that this company is going, and you know we've seen inklings of it, but even so, they've been putting on really good shows with really good wrestling and in many cases, damn good storylines. Even if there's been shoddy booking here or there or finishes that we don't like. But generally, the stuff has been really damn good. But if this is the direction they're going, pay-per-views like this, and hopefully it is an aberration because it's a brand versus brand coming out of the draft, coming out of Crown Jewel. It was a really tough spot for them, but they created it themselves. It was self-inflicted. Yes. But if this is where things are going from now going forward, they are in massive trouble because the crowd told them that what you did after your second match was not acceptable to us.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt of it being a one-off because it is brand versus brand. And they put almost no effort into this entire show. The only people who put forth an effort were Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, the people who made the video packages, and The New Day, basically. Those are about the
0: only people who... I mean, don't say people didn't put an effort. The wrestlers put an effort. That's not fair. No one. I, I mean, I, no one creatively put an effort to the show. Yes, right. I, I, yeah, I, I,
1: I mean, Becky and Charlotte in, in the New Day and them, they, they elevated what they were given. But everybody else was in nothing of consequence. And I'm not blaming the wrestlers for the Survivor Series teams being announced on Twitter. That's obviously on on, on WWE. They put no effort whatsoever on this. This entire thing was, I don't know, to get some Twitter followers, to get some pizza money. Like not, none of this mattered. And they told us it didn't matter by, by what they did. Um, I do think they will continue to tell us things are, things matter (laughs) going forward and important things will happen. But we got a month and a week before another pay-per-view. There's nothing in December. So we'll see. Now you know, doing the draft, doing Survivor Series, there's been a lot of interbrand stuff. Now you got to make with what you got on the shows. Raw's been pretty good. SmackDown is, eh, so we'll see. But but th- 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 this being the first big show on the back of another round of realignment, now you're giving us pizza matches. Yeah, not does not bode well. I think for.
0: Uh, the future in terms of putting forth a good product. Let me ask you one last question here before we get out. So there's a lot of people ranting online that, hey, WWE did this whole show for The Rock and The Rock didn't even show up. I don't know about you, but there was never a point in the build to Survivor Series during the show where I, as a viewer, expected to see The Rock. Did you have an expectation that The Rock was going to be on the show? Because I just, I did not at all.
1: I did not have an expectation. I thought it was maybe possible. But once Roman was on uh, Survivor Series uh, on The Tonight Show and basically said, no, I don't know where those rumors are coming from. And he seemed kind of confused at the question. Um, that's when I figured, no, he's not coming. But I can't believe they didn't even get a video package or just a video of a the video Rocks from and, him. Yeah. Yeah. A video from the Rocks. Saying, hey, Survivor Series. Think it, memories pull stuff from the old interviews you have. Um, I, I, I don't know. To have nothing was stunning. And and to even, wh- like, what was even the point of honoring The Rock? Was it the idea that it would draw more viewers? Because you're honoring him, but you're not honoring him? Like, what was even the point of hyping up 25 years of The Rock? It wasn't even a very big focal point of the show, except for the pizza match. And, 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 So, no, I I didn't have an expectation of him appearing. I thought they would have video from him or something and just reminiscing on his first match. But another part is that this match had a ton of video stuff and commercials and entrances and not a lot of wrestling. Part of that's because it's a Survivor Series match, but there was a lot of not wrestling going on, too. And not among that was a video from The Rock. That is something I kind of did expect.
0: I did think that we might get a video from him, but I just I never, ever expected um, for him to be there. Like I, I just never did once. So to see people wrestling journalists, people who some of whom I, I, I respect to some degree uh, saying that I, I just I don't even know where that came from. By the way, one last thing I, I would be remiss if I did not mention this. I can't even believe I didn't mention it at some point. Right in the main event segment. Chris, are you a Seinfeld fan? Yes. I am a massive Seinfeld fan. Biggie had Seinfeld tights tonight in New York. It could not have been better. I saw giddy up on one cheek. There were other phrases, little scenes from the show. Absolutely incredible. So huge okay. props to Biggie, noted Seinfeld fan. And we discussed Seinfeld in an interview we had on this podcast. We both spoke about our favorite shows. Um, yes. Episodes. So I just wanted to note that I couldn't get out of here without giving Biggie his due props. Uh, but Chris, I couldn't, I
1: couldn't, I couldn't figure out what I, the tights looked, the 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 the, the singlet looked different. I could not figure out what the writing was. Good to mm-hmm. know that it, that's what it was. That's
0: really yeah, cool. yeah. And I hope he posts like a full picture so we can enjoy it the same way we can enjoy the paint by numbers one that the New Day had. That was so cool. Yeah, I really hope yeah. I see that um it, more it, full.
1: Yeah, and well, one last thing on the rock. I I, I do I do think there was. I do think it was OK for people to think it was possible because they hyped up 25 years of The Rock. And when we got 25 years of The Undertaker, we got a match from him. Um, You know, they, they've honored The Undertaker multiple times. at Survivor's Series with him in person. So I and, and The Rock did one time make a surprise appearance at the Barclays Center to to do something with Rusev or something like that that well, one time. So he has he has made a surprise appearance. Before. I think it's possible for people to be like hey, eh, eh, he might show up, maybe. But expectation, no. But again, if you're going to talk about The Rock so much and then not. Do anything that that was that was
0: weird. Yeah, I think it's fair for anyone to have thought it was a possibility, but not an expectation. WWE did not for me create an expectation that something was going to happen. In no way. In no way did it. And if it did it for others, then that's fine. But they just didn't for me. But anyway, whatever. Um, this was the uh, Golden Egg Edition. No, I'm sorry. This was the WWE Survivor Series Instant Analysis Edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I appreciate all of you joining us as we broke down this show. A reminder of what's coming up here on Getting Over Going Forward. On Tuesday, we'll be back with another WWE episode. We are going to talk about all the things that happened on SmackDown. There actually were... A good amount of things that happened that did not directly relate to Survivor Series as well as whatever this Raw is going to be on Monday night, which is apparently going to feature people from both rosters, at least at a minimum, being in attendance. Vince McMahon, the golden egg. I I don't even know what's to come Monday night, but we will be here on Tuesday to break it all down for you. And then we will be back on Thursday talking NXT and primarily AEW, a full episode of rampage and dynamite to break down so i appreciate all of you listening sticking with us for this instant analysis a reminder that this show getting over so please folks do not forget to head on over to apple podcast drop those five star ratings and let people know how much you love the show and also do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That is it for tonight. For Vintage Chris Finini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. We will see you on Tuesday. But I got just three words left. Here. Bye for now.